Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. My name is Tim. I am your host. This is season five, episode two. We are continuing on our series on the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're really excited to be welcoming our regular guest, Brad Jerzak, who's going to be doing some teaching on how to read the scriptures the Emmaus way. Uh, I'm really excited to have Brad. I've also got with me, of course, uh, Dad. I call him Dad. You can call him Steve. Um, and Dad, Brad's going to be picking up on kind of where you left off last week in terms of reading the scriptures in three different ways. Not just the liter- literal or surface way, but also the moral and then more spiritual. of a transcendent or spiritual way. Yeah. So Brad's going to build on some more of that this week. We're really excited. Brad, thanks so much for being with us. It's great to have you. My pleasure. <laughs> uh, you're coming to us from Abbotsford, British Columbia. Correct. Oh, and I've just noticed that we don't have any video of you because I failed to plug in the USB-C cable on the computer that's running you. So Isaiah's going to do that real quick. This is our first, I should say, lots of grace, please. This is our first time uh, running the podcast in the new studio with Zoom. So Brad, you're uh, our guinea pig as per usual. So Isaiah has just stuck in and plugged in the cord that I totally forgot to plug in. Uh, So welcome to my living room, if people can see that. (laughs) Indeed. There we are. Now we see you. Now we see you. Perfect. Uh, So today, Brad's going to teach for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, something like that. Uh, And then from there, we're just going to engage in some discussion. If you are watching live on YouTube, welcome. We see you. Uh, We're so glad to have you. Uh, I would encourage you, as you're listening to Brad's teaching, if you've got questions or comments, go ahead and fire them into the chat there. Uh, There's a live chat. We can see it. uh, And then we can actually pass those questions on to Brad uh, in uh, about 35 minutes or so as we're discussing this stuff. We'd really love to have your input input on uh on what brad's teaching uh if you got additional questions from last week fire those off too uh and we'll just we'll go a little deeper together and have a few laughs along the way i'm sure as well so brad i think without further ado we're gonna pass it off to you well good to see you all and especially my old friend steve there and his wonderful son slash employee slash extension arm slash Improvement slash uh, Tim, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I, I am excited to be here. I'm excited to share a new book that's that you can actually pre-order today, called "A More Christlike Word: The Emmaus Way of Reading Scripture." And so Steve had already been um, alluding to this when we talk about what I, I will call it uh, our hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is just a fancy word for uh, interpretive method. And a strange thing that has happened in modernistic Christianity, which is to say, probably since the Reformation, but especially uh, in the last 200 years, um, is that we adopted modern secular methods of interpreting scripture, which we, uh, in the liberal world, they would talk about the historical critical approach. And in the evangelical world, they call it the historical, literal, grammatical approach. But in both cases, what they're doing is uh, entering the same courtroom to argue over the scriptures and to read it in the very same way that they would read Shakespeare, as if um, there's not more going on there. Now, that's that's a long ways away from how Jesus talked about reading scripture and how he showed us how to read scripture. Um, I want to give you 
uh, quickly the story of the road to Emmaus, because the subtitle of my book is Reading Scripture the Emmaus Way. And what we find in the book of Luke is that on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, um, he is walking with his, with, he, he, he ends up walking with two of his disciples, and they don't recognize him, and yet they're talking about him. And they're very sad because even though they've heard about the resurrection appearances, uh, or at least that the tomb was empty, um, they're expressing this frustration. And so um, I want to just read that passage quickly to you from Luke 24. I'm starting at uh, verse 13. And uh, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up, walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as we walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the one visiting Jerusalem who does not know, the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So I want to just pause there and and say um, Jesus is showing them from the scriptures, from Moses, which is the law, from all the prophets, which for the Jews would have even included, you know, the Psalms, and then and then all the scriptures. So what are the scriptures? They didn't have the New Testament, but all the scriptures means whatever the Jewish Bible was at the time. He is demonstrating that they are prefiguring not only his incarnation, but that he must suffer before he enters into his glory. Um, and, And so he has a way of reading the Bible that uses the Old Testament to point back to himself. And I used to think, man, I wish they had told us how he did that. I wish that he had explained what the Emmaus way of reading was. And isn't it sad that we have to use modernistic methods to interpret his word? And then when we see New Testament authors reading it a different way than we do, we throw up our hands and we either say, well, that's how they did it. And we can't do it that way. And we don't really know what they were doing. And maybe they were even wrong. (laughs) Uh, That doesn't seem right to me. And so, um, I found out some really good news, that the New Testament in itself 
does show us how to read the scriptures, the Emmaus way that points to Jesus. And then in the second century, a couple of the great authors, uh, bishops, who were grand disciples of John, read it the same way, and they modeled it and explained it in their writings. Well, I want to just share that briefly but and illustrate it from the Gospel of Matthew. Before I do, I want to use another illustration, and this comes from the Gospel of John. When we go to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, we read the miracle of of. Christ turning the water into wine. And immediately you can see that his actions are prophetic. His actions are symbolic. I really do believe he turned water into wine, but that wasn't the point. The point was that he took ceremonial jars, drew water from it, and transported that into wine. The ceremonial jars represented Jewish religion, the Old Covenant. And he's going to change that into wine because he's about to show us a lifetime and a set of teaching and a practice that ends in his death and resurrection that takes us from old covenant to new, from water to wine. And uh, and that becomes what John calls, well, in English we say the first of the signs, but in Greek it's NRK, in the beginning, the foundational sign. And it's a foundational way of reading. It's a foundational way of interpreting the Old Testament. It's a foundational way of interpreting Jesus' actions. And so we take the water of the Old Testament scriptures, and through the New Covenant, we read them as being turned to wine in the New Covenant. They point forward to Jesus, just as he said on the Emmaus Way. So um, when we talk about that, Steve alluded to this already. He he began to talk about how in the early church, bishops like Melito of Sardis, Irenaeus of Lyon, and then later um, Origen of Alexandria, and then the Cappadocians, who we call Basil the Great, Gregory of Nyssa, and Gregory the Theologian. They all read the Bible this way. And and so um, as, as Steve was saying, There is a literal reading, a moral reading, and a spiritual reading. And I want to just um, explain a little bit about each of those before we move forward. So the moral reading, or rather the the literal reading, does matter. It's just not what we thought it was. (laughs) Um, The literal reading of a scripture is not saying we read all of the symbols literally. The literal reading means when we start, we open up the scriptures and we ask ourselves, what are the words that are here? What do they mean? How are they arranged? What figures of speech does he use? What genre is the author speaking in? So to read poetry literally doesn't mean to take it out of its poetic element. It means to read poetry as poetry, to read parables as parables, to read history as history. In other words, you could think about it as a literary read. The literal reading is a literary read where you take pay close attention, very close attention to what the author is saying and how he's saying it. But those are just the words. You know, words are words have meanings behind them. And wouldn't it be awful if we got stuck on 
these on the words, but never saw the meaning. And I'm afraid that modern literalism does that. We get so stuck on what does this word that what is this word saying, and how, what do we do with it that that we 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 fail to see behind the word to the point. And um, I remember watching Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and there's this great scene where finally. Um, uh, one character just shouts at the other. It's Steve Martin. He shouts at John Candy. It's like, and and here's here's a little tip. When you're telling a story, have a point. <laughs> well, I think we I think we get that with the Bible that there is a point, but we've off and th- and this is where we would go to the second layer, which is the moral sense. But somehow we we slipped there too. So in the first in the first reading, we slipped from literal to literalism or literary to literalism. In the, in the second point, we, we've read moral, but we turned it into moralism, and it just becomes a new way to make laws for ourselves, and that's not what Christ or Paul or the early church meant by the moral sense, that second layer. The moral sense um, comes out very specifically in Paul's writings. He said, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for a whole bunch of things, uh, reproof, correction, instruction, especially that the, 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 the man or woman of God would, would, be, would be made righteous, would be transformed. And, and we could say it more specifically than that. The moral reading asks us this question, how will this passage make us more Christ-like? That's the whole thing. Um, it's not just what rule or principle can I apply but specifically, how will this passage serve in forming my life into, into the glory of the image of Christ? So that's the moral sense. And then, and then what we have, uh, I think Steve might have called it the spiritual sense or the transcendent sense. There's a lot going on with this, but um, another way we might talk about it is the gospel sense or the typological sense. And this is what the Emmaus way was all about. It was saying any given scripture in the Old Testament is not just a literal uh, story or piece of literature. And it's not only uh, um, giving us moral direction that we could become more Christ-like, but it is always, always prefiguring the Lord Jesus Christ his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection. That's the spiritual, typological, or or gospel sense, or the Emmaus way of reading, or we could say our water-to-wine hermeneutic. We are not done with a text until it, until it points to Jesus. And um, that doesn't mean every Bible verse is going to be like a prophecy. Even when Matthew will say, Jesus did this to fulfill what was said in this passage in the Old Testament. It's not sort of like just here was a, that the prophet was predicting that Jesus would do this thing and then he did it. It's much bigger and broader than that. And I want to, I can layer that out in three ways. Prefigure, it means it's like a movie trailer. It's like a teaser. It's like a shadow of the better things still coming. And so I see three versions of prefigurement in across the whole Old Testament, and this is the Emmaus way to read it. 
First of all, every victory of the people of God or of God himself, even the dubious victories where they're killing babies, you know, every victory, every victory prefigures the much greater victory of Jesus. It is just a shadow cast by the victory of Christ on the cross over Satan's sin and death, where not one person needed to die besides Jesus in order for the world to be made right. In other words, those wars in the Old Testament, they are kind of, they're looking forward to a, a much greater battle when people don't have to be killed, but death is killed, you know? And so Christ fulfills all those victories in a much greater, much more beautiful, much purer and final way. The reverse is true too. Every single defeat by the of the people of God, every time they are oppressed, by foreign nations, every time an individual like Joseph is thrown into a pit or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a fiery furnace or someone like David is on the run in the wilderness, every time there's defeat and oppression, it prefigures the much greater affliction of Jesus Christ when he goes to the cross. And so it's only a shadow of it. It is a trailer of something... Uh, far worse, where he bears the sins and sorrows of all wars, of all uh, oppression, of all affliction, of all people throughout all of history. And he begin, you can really see him beginning to bear that. He's bleeding it out already in Gethsemane and then ultimately on the cross. And then I would say a third kind of scripture, we see a lot of this in the Old Testament, would be... Uh, where you see a betrayal, where you see injustice, even by the people of God, where God is really condemning the, uh, his people for, for the horrible things they're doing through his pro uh, the prophets will come. And, and you can see Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and these folks, and they're really saying, look at you guys are horrible. You're horrible people. Um, look what you're doing. Well, even those passages prefigure the much greater betrayal of Jesus Christ by, by Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, by Pilate and the powers that be in the empire, and even by Judas, his own disciple who betrays him. All of, all of the betrayals and injustice in the Old Testament prefigure the far greater crime of what we would call deicide, the murder of God by even by his own people. So, now, now, when I go to the Old Testament, I'm like, every victory, every defeat, and every injustice is just a movie trailer of the ultimate version of that in Jesus. So now, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, he can show them in the law and the prophets and all of the scriptures that it's always kind of leading up to this. And... Uh, and so that's why, let's say, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is describing the gospel that he has received and now preaches, he's not talking about the four gospels. But he is saying that, and what does he say? It's that, that the Messiah must suffer and die and then rise from the dead. And then he says this, according to the scriptures, several times. According to what scriptures? According to the Old Testament. Now we know that they were pointing there, but we only knew it after he rose from the dead. We only knew it after um, uh, the 
Emmaus way. And so we've got this literal, moral, and spiritual reading, and I'm going to show you an example. And I think I'll share my screen. The example I want to use um, is this. How did Jesus in Matthew read the Old Testament in a way that pointed to him? Well, the example we'll use is Jonah. So I'm going to hit share screen now, and I sure hope this works. <clears throat> All right, here we go. You see that? So here's, the, here's Matthew 12, 38 to 41. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given it, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What is the sign of the prophet Jonah? Well, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So now we're going to use this Emmaus way of reading Jonah to look beyond the literal and the moral sense to the gospel sense, where Jonah's time in the belly of the fish and his escape from it would prefigure Christ's death and resurrection. This is actually why they believe the scriptures say that Jesus was dying and rise from the dead. This is an example that Jesus gives them even ahead of time. So isn't that a bit of a stretch? Well, not if you read the Jonah passage carefully. The ironic thing is that Jesus makes this his case reading a, pro, a, a, a prophetic and poetic prayer of Jonah, but he's reading it literally. And I'm going to be using a translation of, from the Septuagint. The Septuagint is that Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament that was the favorite Bible of the apostles, the one they cite the most when they're when they're quoting scripture in the new testament they're using this translation so i want to use this translation and here is what jonah says while he's in the belly of the fish now the lord commanded a huge sea creature to swallow jonah and jonah was in the belly of the sea creature three days and three nights and from the belly of the sea creature, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and said, I cried in my affliction to the Lord, my God, and he heard my voice out of the belly of Hades. You heard the cry of my voice. You cast me into the depths of the heart of the sea and rivers encompassed me. All your surging waters and your waves passed upon me. And I said, I've been driven away from your sight. Shall I again look with favor toward your holy temple? Water is poured down over my soul. The lowest deep encircled me. My head plunged into the clefts of the mountains. I descended into the earth, the bars of which are everlasting barriers. Yet let my life ascend from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul was failing me, I remembered the Lord. May my prayer be brought to you into your holy temple. Those who follow vanity and lies forsake their own mercy. 
but with a voice of thanksgiving and praise, I will sacrifice to you as much as I vowed, I shall offer up to you the Lord of deliverance. Then the Lord commanded the sea creature and it cast up Jonah onto dry land. So do you see what Jesus did there? He allegorized the story to prefigure his death and resurrection. How did he do it? By a careful, literal reading of the words on the scroll. And you can see how the message about Jesus was embedded there from the beginning, but you couldn't perceive it until Jesus unveiled it. And so I'm. Uh, let's see, let's get out of this page. Stop share. What I want to do now is just say, let's look at the literal, moral, and um, spiritual or gospel sense of that text. Am, am I time? Is am I okay for time still? Okay. So, what is the moral sense of that? Now, here was the horrible thing when I was a young evangelical in Bible college. We thought moral meant we have to make sure we have the right kind of fish, and we would waste all kinds of time going to biology books and saying, "Look, it it says fish. It doesn't say whale. Actually, it says sea creature. So it could be." But we thought, no, it can't be a whale because, like, really, could a whale swallow a man? And, yeah, he's big enough, but is the stomach big enough? Okay, we got to find a fish that's big enough. And that's what we thought a literal reading meant. What Origen says about this is a literal reading even starts by asking, is this fiction or nonfiction? It could be either. If it's fiction, reading it literally is reading it as fiction. But you know what? I don't know. I can't quite tell. So let's get the right literal reading. What is the right literal reading? Well, the the, the right literal reading would be to say, what's the point? <laughs> it's not to ask, um, you know, is 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 the fish? Is it a fish or a whale? The uh, the literal reading is is to ask the text. What is the what is the point of of this particular story? And in fact, um, the literal reading uh, is given to us towards the end of the book. So it doesn't depend on finding a big fish, big enough to swallow a man. It doesn't depend on finding when or if in history Nineveh actually repented, if they ever did. No, a literal reading of Jonah asks. What truth this strange story the author is trying to convey? So we could say the literal sense is the original author's point. Whoever wrote this book has a message for us. Let's start with his message. Now, he doesn't know it's about Jesus, but he knows it's about something. And so what it is, it's a scandalous prophetic message that God's mercy extends to all, even the Ninevites, even the tyrannical empire who's going to come and crush the northern tribes of Israel, those evildoers. In fact, Nineveh is specifically condemned in the book of Nahum, but Nahum's part of the 12 minor prophets, and Jonah's in there too saying, hang on a second. What if, we, what if God's heart is not just for our tribe? What if God even cares about them? So you get this in Jonah 4, verse 10. Um, and, and it goes this way. 
And should I not have concern from the great city of Nineveh? It's God talking. Should I not? In which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And also many animals. <laughs> I think that's the funniest ending to any Bible book. And also many animals. Um, so that covers the literal meaning of the story. What, what is the author's point? The message of Jonah, whether it's a fictional account or an actual history, is true. In the same way the prodigal son story is true. And so what is, what is the truth of this story? Um, the truth is that we're not to condemn people who aren't like us. Even people in an empire, like even Canadians like me should not condemn America just because it's a global military empire. I should even love Steve and Tim. And I do because I'm not like Jonah. So you could say this. What is the, what is the literal point? It's like, don't be like Jonah. <laughs> now, this takes us to the moral sense. And the moral reading, remember, it's about becoming more Christ-like. So the, the, liter the literary work, we've got a foundation. We've got the author's point. But by the moral reading, I'm not just talking about let's figure out a new purity code. No, it's, it's asking this question. How will this passage nourish my growth as a follower of Jesus? How will it transform me? So that the truth of my being becomes the way of my being. Um, we have a we have some other words for this. We could say the moral is also called tropological. That means how does it transform my will? Or existential, which would mean how does it address my real life dilemmas? All of that is moral meanings, right? So in Jonah, the moral meaning is really overt. Don't be like Jonah. Don't be a racist. Don't be xenophobic. xenophobic. Um, don't let that blind you. We are called to humanize those we previously demonized. To see God's heart of compassion, not just in Jonah's time for Nineveh, but today to, to reorient ourselves towards the light. Now, there's, as it turns out, we have a very modern example of this concerning Jonah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw it, but there was a Veggie Tales movie, uh, animated movie about Jonah delivering the moral meaning of this ancient book to our culture right when we needed it. So the 9-11 attacks had already occurred. And now um, Cheney and the neocon administration of the Bush White House were really clamoring for an invasion of Iraq. They were they were doing a lot of lobbying. We we need to invade Iraq now. Where? What do you know? Nineveh was once situated. So the Jonah movie was released in 2002 after the 9/11 attacks but before the invasion. And the, so here we have the Jonah movie in movie theaters in our countries calling us to rethink our us-them hostility and to humanize people in actual Iraq, in real-life Nineveh, even those we labeled the enemy, even, let's say, Saddam Hussein, which who was, like, way, way less hostile than the empire of Nineveh was. I mean, these are evil, evil dudes. If he was evil, these were, like, 
ultra evil. But of all people, you would have hoped that Christians would remember Jonah's moral message when they saw it on the screen. And uh, what happened instead is, we, you know, we, we contrived evidence of, of non-existent weapons of mass destruction. And in the name of Christ, we even sometimes called it a crusade to go kill those horrible Muslims, horrible Ninevites. And, and we really lost, we, we, we missed the moral message when it was really in our face. And, um, and so the moral sense, that moral sense follows, like I said, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where, where we're to grow into Christian discipleship by reading the, the Jonah story. Well, that was easy pickings, actually. Um, uh, but really, early Christians, they scoured all of the scriptures for moral messages that would profit believers with encouragement, correction, instruction. Um, and that sometimes, as in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, the first paragraph of that chapter, Paul explains how more often than not, the lessons we'll find in the Old Testament scriptures are actually cautionary tales of what not to do. So, you're going, how, how is this horrible story of bloodshed um, make me a better Christian? It's like, it makes you a better Christian if you read it and go, oh, that's what we're not supposed to do. So it's sort of traumatic training that is bought, offered in the Bible's R-rated material. And, uh, and so we shouldn't read, read that stuff as like threats of a violent deity, um, but rather it's loving warnings from a good father in good faith saying, this is, this is a misstep. This is a landmine. Don't walk this way. And in that sense, no matter what Israel did, God wasted none of it. All right. So now what I want to do is I want to move to this spiritual or uh, mystical or typological or gospel reading that, that other, that third way of reading that basically points to Christ and it's following Jesus's promise um, that the Moses, the prophets and the scriptures point to him and his gospel, to his suffering and his death, to his resurrection and his reign. So um, now the literal sense invokes the spiritual sense. It me meaning that if we read Jonah carefully, really carefully, what are the words he's using? Embedded in those words are the gospel, and I especially see it in, in Jonah, in the sign of Jonah. Um, and, and you have to read it allegorically to see it. In fact, uh, Father John Bear, he's probably one of the top patristic scholars in the world. That means early church fathers. He says, if you aren't reading the Old Testament allegorically, how will you see Jesus? And if you're not seeing Jesus when you read it, you're not reading it as scripture. You might have a Bible, but you don't have inspired scripture in front of you because of, because of the reading problem. So, um, so just to summarize before I show you how it works in Jonah, the whole of the Old Testament points to Christ and his gospel according to Jesus on the road to Emmaus. To read the Old Testament as scripture is to read it as a revelation of the gospel. To read the Old Testament scripture as a revelation of Christ requires us to read it symbolically or typologically or allegorically. To not do so is to not read it as Christian scripture. And so that's strong words, isn't it? <laughs> um, but it's also liberating. It's hope-filled because 
what they could do is they could lead us back to how the apostles read the Bible. And so um, uh, now let's, let's go back to that passage. I think I might have, I might have another document that can show us how, show us the passage. I've got a couple too many things open right now. And, And it's layered them in reverse order on me. Maybe I'll show you this one. So what I'm going to show you is, is actual, this is the Septuagint. It's going to show you the Greek translation of the Hebrew, and it's going to show you the English with it. And I will just quick, quickly guide you through it um, to show you how we see Jesus here. So this is, this is Jonah in Greek. And I'm going to use my cursor. When I do this, can you see what I'm highlighting? Okay, so Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from out of the belly of the whale or great fish or sea creature. And he said, I yelled my affliction to the Lord my God. I, and he hearkened to me from out of the belly of, look at that, of Hades. So he's not just crying from the belly of the whale. He's crying from the belly of Hades. Isn't this what Jesus has done? We're coming up to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. What happens between then? Well, we know from the Apostles' Creed that Christ descended into Hades. And and in descending into Hades, he comes back. That's wonderful. So already, the way Jesus reads Jonah is like, oh, this isn't just about a whale. Right in Jonah. It's telling me it's about Hades and I'm going to go down in there. And, um, and so Jonah goes, is crying out from the belly of Hades. And he said, you heard my voice. You threw me into the depths of the heart of the sea and rivers encircled me. All your crests and your waves upon me went. And I said, have I been thrust away from your eyes? So it's almost like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, have you turned away from me? Have you abandoned me here? Where? In Hades? Shall I proceed to look towards the holy temp- your holy temple? Um, water has poured, so you can see how Greek is different word, or water, and then you go back here, was poured out upon me unto, the, unto, unto my soul. So it's not just his body, but now, now, now he's, it's like he's, his soul is in these deep waters. The deep encircled me to the extreme. I went down, uh, my head went down into the fissures of mountains. See, if it's just literal, when, when Jonah's in the belly of the whale, he's not in the mountains. He's in the whale. How does he get into the mountains? Well, it's because it's, where is Jesus buried? You know, he's buried in a, in, in a stone tomb and sealed away. So he's in a fissure of a mountain. I went down. And where does he go? He goes, I went down into the earth. When, Jonah doesn't go down into the earth, but Jesus is reading this poetic prayer. And he's saying, I see my mission here. I'm going to go down into the earth. And in fact, in Ephesians, Paul will call it the lower parts of the earth. Or in... Philippians 2, Paul will say, um, under the earth, and 
Uh, and now this is a crazy part. Steve, you're going to, this will kill you. Of which it's bars, the bars of what? The bars of Hades, those iron bars, the the prison doors of Hades. Hold me that they're that the bars are eternal. <gasps> what? They're eternal bars? This is exactly the same word that's used in Matthew 25. When Jesus says, you know, well, the 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 um the goats on the left at the final judgment have to go off into, into eternal, eternal punishment or eternal chastisement. And most English translations will use eternal there. And some of us would say, well, I, this word ionios, it doesn't always mean eternal, but let's say it does. Okay. Let's just say it does. So Jonah goes down into the earth. He goes into Hades and he's barred in there with eat by high and it's an eternal place. Oh no, he's he's in each he's in eternal Hades. Yet let my life ascend from corruption, O Lord my God, in the faltering of from me of my soul. I remembered the Lord, and uh may my prayer come to you. In, the te- in your holy temple, the ones watching vanities and lies, their mercy abandoned. But I, with the voice of praise and acknowledgement, will sacrifice to you as much as I vowed I will render to you. For my deliverance is by the Lord. It was a sign from the Lord to the whale. Or um, this, also, this word is also like he commanded. He, the Lord commanded the whale and the, and the whale cast Jonah out upon the dry land. So, so a careful reading of Jonah, you can see how Jesus is working this through. Oh, this isn't just an old story about a guy protesting racism. This is, this prefigures my entry into eternal Hades where no one can come back, but I will. (laughs) And the Lord is going to have me have Hades spit me out of its belly onto dry land and, 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 uh, and so that is how Jesus ends up saying to the Pharisees, the only sign I'm giving you is the sign of Jonah. And you only know the sign of Jonah by reading it literally, morally, and spiritually, just the way Jesus did. That would be a, a water to wine interpretation of Jonah. And Christ actually models it for us. So we can't say, well, we don't know how to do it that way. We'll just do these modern methods. No, Jesus shows us. So when the apostles come along, this is how they read scripture. This is what they mean by, and and Jesus fulfilled that which was spoken of by Jonah when he entered into Hades and comes on back. And we find out it's not so eternal after all, which is sort of like, um, I don't know if you guys are wrestling fans. It's probably, you're too holy to be wrestling fans, but it's amazing how many professional wrestlers there are who are undefeated. Well, that's what it's saying about Hades. Hades is undefeated. It is eternal. It is perpetual. Oops. Jesus just crushed it, came in, plundered it, and uh, was resurrected from it. So I, I just wanted to show you that example from, because um, you're studying Matthew, but also how, especially in Matthew, there is a lot of reports about prefigurement. And, uh, and here's Jesus himself is doing it. So I think we'll pause there and see what comments and questions you guys have. And then if you want to open it up, um, that's great too. 
but that was my discovery this morning. I, I was reading it again so carefully in prep for this. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. He says the bars of Hades are eternal. I wonder what word that is. Ionios. Hey, wait a minute. That's Matthew 25. And you just start. We're meant, we're meant to start connecting dots that all point back to the gospel. And so that's what I did. Now what? The gospel is meant to be lived. We now invite you to be a part of the discussion as we talk about how to apply this teaching. YouTube viewers can use the comment section below. You can also email your questions and comments to podcast at impactnations.com. Uh, wow, Brad, thank you so much. That was remarkable. Uh, I love how you just walked us through that one story of Jonah and how it prefigures Christ in, in several ways. I'm, I'm looking forward to asking some questions. I saw you jotting some stuff down as, as Brad was speaking. So, uh, really looking forward to, to this chat. Um, if you do have questions, feel free to write them in Arthur. And I assume is sitting next to you as well. We see you. Welcome. If uh, if you're watching, you're enjoying this. Just drop a line in the chat so we can see you and uh, give you a shout out. Um, just before we handle some questions, I wanted to just let you know that this week's episode is brought to you by the Impact Nation Skills and Business Programs. Uh, we're going to show you a little video today. We got lots of uh, we we've had like some Greek text on the screen, and now we're going to uh, get a little video from Uganda. Uh, our Skills and Business Programs are designed to bring generational change. If you would like to rescue many generations through the power of uh, business through the power of skills in business by employing people or seeing them self-employed, uh, this is a great way to do it. Here's a video that we got recently from uh, from Uganda that is just showing you a little bit of the sights and sounds of what it looks like to get a one-week intensive training on, uh, on entrepreneurial uh, work in their own language designed specifically for people with limited literacy. Uh, Isaiah, you can go ahead and roll that video. The ASO Women program held and executed a workshop for the loan scheme. The loan scheme will be moving to its second phase. The workshop was attended in great numbers and the women were able to learn as much as they could. In this workshop, the women were taught financial literacy around bookkeeping, accountability, loans and repayments. Today the session was wonderful. Uh, we had good turn up. They were active, they were vibrant. They really looked promising. Uh, I shared with them uh, the various uh, ways through which they can save, beginning with uh, whatever they have. And also we talked about how they can expand their businesses uh, through bookkeeping, asking questions, and when you ask them, they quickly respond. It's really an interesting group to interact with. Magazine 
From the attendees of the workshop, women will be selected to be beneficiaries of the loan. These loans will be given to them in cash with zero interest. The loans are meant to help them expand their businesses and to be able to stand economically independent. It's a blessing to see that the funds received from Impact Nations were a blessing and they truly impacted the lives of the women we serve in our communities. Thank you so much, Impact Nations. May God bless you. Well, I hope that gives you a good glimpse into what's going on really all over the place. We are going to have hundreds and hundreds, at least 600 people go through that exact training just in 2021 alone. Uh, so if you would like to participate in generational change, generational transformation, head to impactnations.com slash skills and see how you can join us. Thanks so much. All right, Brad, uh, let's dig into this. Uh, I should say, by the way, while that ad was playing, we were having a quick chat here and, uh, we got talking about this amazing uh, concept of the word eternal. Jesus suddenly just changes the meaning of, of the word eternal. Uh, and dad, you, you brought up a great quote from Dylan Thomas. And I thought you'd let one of you share that with, with the listeners. Just to keep things deep. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Dylan Thomas, a child's Christmas in Wales, which you've listened to your whole life. Christmas Indeed. night, yes. always. And now my children do, by the way. <laughs> and uh, there's one line that came back from Brad's talking uh, where where he and his friend are plunging through the eternal snows, eternal ever since Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus does change everything when he shows up on the scene, doesn't he, Brad? Yeah, I really believe that. I, I think um, he has come to bring light, life, and love where there was darkness, dread, and death. Mm. And I see him doing that in the gospel. I see him doing that at the end of time. I see him doing it this coming Easter that we're celebrating, and I see him doing it in Impact Nations every single day of the year. Um, isn't that true? I mean, it's really true that that th- through this ministry, Christ is bringing light, life, and love yeah. into darkness, dread, and death. It's really... I. Uh, I wouldn't. I I would skirt around it if I didn't believe that. Hmm. <laughs> but I don't need to. I really. I I see it all the time in the testimonies that come in. Uh, well, what is that? What that is to me is, if if Christ's death, descent into Hades, and resurrection back to life don't connect somehow today in the real world, then what's it about? Yeah. Um, and I I just firmly believe that. That that specific gospel, the wounded God, is is uh, is the one we meet now, and who 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 is like really delivering the gospel to, especially those on the mar- margins. Yeah, Amen. Um, Dad, I'm going to let you take the lead on a couple questions here because I know you, as you've been preparing your teaching for Matthew, you actually. You said to me just a week ago, in terms of Matthew's consistent reference to Old Testament prophecies, uh, to to how it was all pointing to Christ. Uh, with today's teaching, just giving us a great example of that out of Jonah. Uh, have you got some questions that have come to mind during that teaching? Uh, well, I was mainly taking notes and <laughs> not too, writing right? questions. I, I, I was I supposed would, to be writing questions, I but I thought, oh, this, this is, is too this good. Is, yeah. This is too good. Um, you know, I shared with you, Brad, and for those who didn't hear the first week, uh, 
one of my greatest goals, um, almost uh, beyond or superimposed upon uh, us learning about Matthew's gospel, is through it learning what you just talked about, the Emmaus way of of how to how to read scripture. Before I forget, let me just say I'm a very privileged man because um, Brad asked me to be one of the guys who endorses, one of the people who endorses his newest book. So I got to read it. And uh, and I told you, Brad, this might be your best. I just hmm. absolutely loved it. A more Christ-like word, unless the title's changed. And uh, I just, before I forget, I wanted people to, to know, and I think that we've got something coming up on the screen, how they can pre-order and so forth. But it is it is wonderful. You gave us some very practical things here, and uh, I really appreciated all of it. I appreciated we kind of get stuck on the moral reading, but rather, how does this lead me into Christ-likeness? Um, and, and then from there, of course, into then we had so many different words we used, you know, a, a spiritual, a water to wine, um, church fathers used allegorical, and we tend to go, oh, no, except that Paul said that in Galatians 4.24. Yeah. Um, would you talk on this for a moment, please? The, whenever I'm teaching this way, and, and uh, not at the depth of what you're doing, but just presenting, you know, these multiple layers and, you know, Origen said, if we only understand it, it literally we don't understand it. They always say, well, then how, how do you protect yourself and others from your imagination, imaginative reading rather than allegorical reading? Yeah, um, that's a, that's an important question um, loaded <laughs> with some with some assumptions. Mm -hmm. So the assumption is, um, you know, like that, that there can only be one meaning to this text and, and that, that the, that the, that you can't read, you can't read creatively. Well, to someone who, who's worried about that, it's like, then you've not read how Jewish rabbis read the scriptures their midrashic midrash mm -hmm. m i d r a s h is is highly creative in fact um what we might think as taking the bible out of context uh the gospel requires a creative reframing of israel's story and so um in fact i think i think um We've located all of inspiration in this in the Bible, whereas in reality, inspiration um, is an interplay between the scriptures, the gospel of Jesus, and us as readers illumined by the Holy Spirit. And so, um, so we don't want to we don't want to just say, "Look, at the author meant one thing." And and uh, and that's what it means forever. It's like we know from Jesus and the apostles who write about the Old Testament that they are reading it creatively, and not with just one sense. In fact, they're seeing it apply to the gospel in many ways, and that that even today, even today, we might um, we might exercise that 
that kind of um, same creativity. So then the question is, okay, well then what, what are the safeguards, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's exactly um, what I was going to ask. <laughs> Cause that, and that was, well, that was a question I asked dad last week. Uh, and somebody actually specifically asked us to, to ask you that same question, which is what are the safeguards? I, I like the way you put it. Uh, if we are reading at multiple levels and reading beyond just what the text literally says on the page, even beyond its literal context or uh, literary context, how do we, not just get so far off that we're just making it say what we want it to say. So isn't that interesting, right? It can only mean one thing or it will mean whatever I want it to say. What if it means the gospel? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what if Jesus life, death and resurrection is the framework? Yeah. And in fact, um, I, I want to read, I asked father John bear this same question you know, two weeks ago. And he said this, I'll quote, I'll quote his email to me in understanding any historical work. It is of course necessary to read them within their historical context, bearing in mind the possible range of meanings for words in a given epoch. So we read Jonah in its historical context using the possible range of meanings that he used during that era, right? But as with any great work of art, its meaning goes beyond that of the original artist. This is art. Indeed, sometimes one comes across an interpretation of a piece of art, literature, art, music, etc., where the interpretation is so good that you can never see the piece of art in the same way again. So, uh, in in the case of of Jonah now, it's like whose work of art are you looking at? It is both Jonah's art and the interpreter's art, who happens to be Jesus, and my interpretation as I'm reading it and applying it to connecting it to other scriptures like Matthew 25. So Father John says the best interpretations are never never merely repetition, but they're creative. The meaning of scripture is not simply found in the original setting, but in the reading of the text throughout all time, including the future, by the community that the, that the text creates. So, so a Jesus-interpreted sign of Jonah created the church. That church now comes back to the text with the gospel and the spirit, and we interpret it together. So it's never my interpretation. It's our interpretation. And, and so the interpretation is still on the way. And, of course, so then that raises the questions about whether a reading is right or not. Um, but that's an engaged discussion. And it's a, it's a discussion and a debate in process. And it helps sort through those um, interpretations that have staying power and that are accepted by the community and in a, in a way become part of the original text. So, um, so now I don't think you're going to be able to read the story of Jonah the same way ever again. You won't be able to ignore the sign of Jonah. You, you, you dare not read it ever again without Jesus anyways. 
but also you're going to notice the word Hades there from now on. Mm -hmm. You're going to notice the word eternal there from now on. You're going to go, what a me, what, you know? So, so, um, so I want to say it would be of concern to us if it was anything goes, it's not anything goes, it's the gospel. It is just as much a concern to me if our interpretive method puts a prophylactic on the book so that it can't produce seed. That's boring, and it's probably pharisaical, mm. with apologies to the Pharisees who knew how to read this way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, you know, even Nicodemus struggled with it, right? Yeah. Jesus is like, you must be born yeah. from above. And he's like, what do you mean? I got to go back in my mom's tummy. You know, <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Metaphor, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and especially when when so much of the Old Testament is already poetry, yeah, which permeated by mm. metaphor, which then gives us more creative space to use it to tell the gospel. Yeah, yeah. it's I can see balancing that literary with um, with moral with with the transcendent reading. Uh, I can see kind of getting mixed metaphors getting mixed up in that, like holding on tight. So, for instance, in Jonah, at the, at, at the beginning of, of the story of Jonah here, once he's in the in the whale, uh, he's a uh, he's pre-shadowing Christ in the tomb. Uh, you read that beautiful poem. Uh, but then by the end of the story, you're saying, well, the moral of the story is don't be a Jonah. Well, I, you know, are we supposed to be more Christ-like? Which is like – so it's – it's important. Exactly. To, it, I think that's where that creativity comes from, right? Like, uh, yeah. it's really important that we have the flexibility to move with the author and and yeah. with the Holy Spirit. By the way, the, the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you could speak to this, but the 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 need to read the scriptures with the Holy Spirit within us, empowering us as we read, is vital, and we cannot leave that behind. It's it would be easy because all of this is really. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating discussion. It would be easy to uh, make it academic only, and yet it must be infused with the Holy Spirit. I mean, we we know these these scriptures are God breathed, and I want the Holy Spirit breathing on them afresh every time I pick up the scriptures. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things going all the way back to well, how how do we not just get off the rails? Is my understanding is that the uh, Early church fathers insisted that Scripture interprets Scripture. And so it isn't a quick reading. It's deep. And, and recognizing every time you go, if you're willing to dig deep, you're going to understand more truth. You gave us the example today from Eternal Bars, etc. That, that, you know, I've, sadly, some of the... Um, well, I'll go out on a limb. Some of the current charismatic prophetic stuff is not steeped in Scripture, interpreting Scripture. Um, if if you look at prophetic passages, you will see how, how many cross-references there are all the way back to the beginning. And so I think that that's a big part of, of the security, and it takes us deeper and deeper, and it's a journey that I don't think we ever get to the end of. But but those those rails are scripture interpreting scripture. Would you would agree with what I just said? I would agree. I, and I would I would maybe I would double down on it even in this way. I would say until you've done your gospel reading, you've not read it as scripture. 
you're not done. Yep. You mm-hmm. can if you if you come out of out of the out of uh, reading the Torah with a sermon series on leadership themes from the life of Moses, um, you're not reading it as a Christian, and therefore. It's, it is a ministry of condemnation. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3, when, it's, when we read it according to the letter, he says, it, that, the, that, the, that the old covenant is a ministry of condemnation. When the Spirit removes the veil from our eyes to see that it is about Jesus, then the whole Bible becomes yes. the spirit of reconciliation. The whole mm-hmm. Bible, and Origen will say this, um, that the whole Bible is the New Testament for those who see the entire scriptures pointing to Jesus. And I mean, and again, Jesus says that this, he says like in gospel, John, if you had, if, if you were children of Moses, you would believe in me because Moses wrote about me. Yes. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're not reading Moses as about Jesus, I either want to, to be harsh, I'd say, then you're reading it wrong. But no, you're probably just not reading it and deeply. You haven't read it by the Spirit yet. Yeah. And uh, sec, um, First Corinthians chapter 2, let me quote this because on the Spirit side of it. 2.13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities in Jonah, for example, with spirit taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. So will a purely academic reading get you there? Nope. Hmm. The spirit person with the spirit makes judgments about all things. Oh, so you have, you are making judgments. Um, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Who has known the mind of the Lord is to instruct him? Ah, we have the mind of Christ. So with the mind of Christ, I think, you can do a gospel reading that includes scripture, interpreting scripture, and the Spirit's illumination. But uh, uh, this is going to take a while. We've been sloppy at it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know? and I'm, I see we're running out of time here, Brad. So I want to I finish with just real practical application. We, uh, <laughs> I think we called this segment, Now What? Uh, like, what do we do with this? And it's always really important to me that we finish with just giving some uh, listeners something to take away. So I'd love it if you could just tell us, what's your process when you pick up the scriptures? You know, you just it's your daily reading. You're, you've come for fresh revelation from the Lord, from encouragement, from his word. What is your process for asking the Holy Spirit to, to be with you? And then literally, what, do you, what are you reading? Yeah, so I uh, when I read the scriptures, um, I, I do ask the Holy Spirit to show me the heart of the matter. Hmm. But to get to the heart of the matter, I might have to peel the fruit first. And so the literal sense is like the rind of a fruit. And then and then you, you move your way to the heart of the fruit. So you move outwards towards inwards. And so I will read for the literal. I, I'm checking what Greek it says in Greek. I'm checking the history of, of Nineveh at the time. That's the literal. But and then I then I go further. I'm like, I, my heart needs to be subject to this. So I'm not standing over the text, but I'm actually it's standing over me. And what moral demands is it making in terms of Christian discipleship? 
And then I just go into the wonder and fascination that I know, I know I'm going to find Christ in here. And so a really profound thing in the so what element is that not, so my hermeneutic, my interpretive method always climaxes with how Jesus is there, how, how it points, how, how the whole Bible, how every book tells me the gospel. But when I encounter Christ in my life, and I see how those words connect with what I'm living and where I'm ministering and all of that, then as Father John Bear says, then you're then not only the whole boss gospel, but your whole life. Not only the whole Bible, but your whole life becomes gospel. Well, that's <laughs> that's beautiful. Well, Brad, thank you again so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, I'm a little disappointed Dad's special moose socks did not make an appearance today. Yeah, um, put them on today, maybe, my moose socks. Yeah, your, your moose socks didn't make an appearance, but next time I'm sure. Um, folks, thanks so much for joining us on YouTube Live. Yeah. I just want to make sure, uh, Brad, how can they uh, pre-order, or maybe that's come up already? Uh, it's... We can touch on that. Uh, Brad has shared a link with us. Uh, there is an Amazon pre- pre-order link uh, in the YouTube uh, description here. Also, if you're listening to the podcast on your iPhone or whatever, uh, in your show notes, there'll be a link right there as well. Um, you can also just head to bradjerzak.com, and I'm sure that a good marketer like Brad will uh, point you in that direction as well. Um, I... I'm just delighted. We've had many people joining in the in the chat here, by the way, Brad, just to say hi and, and thank you so much. Uh, so especially Australia. Hello, Australia. Uh, it uh, This show starts at roughly 8 a.m., I think, in Australia at this time of year, although that might be about to change because uh, they're coming out of daylight savings or going into it or something. Uh, this show is broadcast at 3 o'clock on Thursdays. That's Mountain Daylight Time. Uh, that's Friday morning in Australia. Uh, and various time zones around the world. I know we've got people joining us from all over the place. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, that'd be really helpful because that way you're going to get notified as soon as we go live. So uh, at youtube.com slash impact nations, uh, you can hit the subscribe button. A little bell is going to pop up. You click that bell and you're going to get a notification right on your phone. Actually, I got one as we went live today. My phone said, hey, by the way, there's a live show going on right now. Uh, so I would encourage you to hit that. Uh, if you're a listener, head to impactnations.com slash podcast. You can subscribe there uh, and join us every single week. This is going to be an amazing year. Season five, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And we are already, we're only two episodes in and I've learned so much. Like you said, I was taking notes that whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, just uh, for those of us who are of my generation and are maybe a little more low tech, um, if you want your friends to watch this, they can just go on to YouTube uh, and then search Impact Nations, yeah. and that'll be available certainly by tomorrow morning. Absolutely. Do us a favor. Share this stuff on uh, on your social media, uh, whether that's Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, tell your friends that you're enjoying it. Tell them why. Uh, and let's grow this audience because this stuff has been fantastic, and I don't want anybody to miss it. So, Brad, thank you so much. Uh, it's a joy and a privilege to have you here, and I'm sure we'll see you again on the podcast soon. Thank you, my friend. Okay. All right. God bless. Have a great week, everyone.